Today's story is an Arunachal Pradesh folktale. It's about students at a monastery whose teacher really wanted them to learn flying before they could learn everything else. Welcome to Stories from India. This is a podcast that will take you on a journey through the rich mythology, folklore and history of the Indian subcontinent. I am Narad Muni, the celestial storyteller and the original Time Lord. With my ability to travel through space and time, I can bring you fascinating stories from the past, the present and the future. From the epic tales of the Mahabharat and Ramayan to the folk tales of the Panchatantra to stories of Akbar Birbal and Tenali Raman, I have a story for every occasion. The purpose of the stories is neither to pass judgment nor to indoctrinate. My goal is only to share these stories with people who may not have heard them before and to make them more entertaining for those who have. In this episode, we are doing an Arunachal Pradesh folktale. We haven't previously covered any folktales from this state in northeastern India. So this was long overdue. Let's jump right into the story, which begins in the Urgaleng Monastery where a teacher, Ekai Jinko, was patiently trying to teach his class. His class consisted of 100 students, a curiously round number. No, 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 said the teacher. We are here to find focus, not locus. At that remark, a few disappointed students put away their compasses and protractors back into their geometry boxes. Ekai Jinko shook his head. He had been teaching many, many years now. But this latest batch of students seemed to be his toughest. They weren't deliberately trying to be tough. They just weren't getting it. Their meditation progress seemed like extended nap time. And the only thing these students were getting good at mastering was their mindfulness at mealtime, you could set a clock going purely by the time the students lined up outside the mess hall. Now, these students were certainly capable of hard work. They had cleared the JEE, the Jana Entrance Exam. Jana, in case you don't know, is a Pali word that is synonymous with Dhyan, which means concentration and focus while contemplating or meditating. Students ranked highly in the JEE were the cream of the nation, the best and brightest students in that generation. And if this was how they approached a lifetime of learning and meditation, it seemed to Ekai Jinko that they were actively distancing themselves from Nirvana. Ekai Jinko 
assigned his students to 15 minutes of silent self-contemplation. But he kept worrying about how he was going to get them to learn to focus, to give up fear, to give up material desires. As if to prove that his concerns were well-founded, there came in through the window a bee, a real physical bee to go with the metaphorical one in his bonnet. The room was buzzing with excitement. No one was in silent self-contemplation. Certainly not the bee, which, though it was deep in self-contemplation, it was certainly not silent. It kept up its steady drone. Given these were monks, they couldn't just tell the bee to buzz off. Instead, they politely beseeched it to leave. Ekai Jinko sighed. If his students couldn't even withstand distraction from a single bee, how could they guard themselves against all the distractions in the world? The teacher stood up and dismissed the class. Not just for now, but until he was done meditating himself. Ekai Jinko locked himself in the meditation room which presented a problem for the students because they weren't very independent. They didn't know what they were supposed to do now. Without direction from their teacher, they mostly ate meals. Sometimes, they would sit in a place and think about the next meal. This went on for six days until suddenly, one day, the doors of the meditation room flew open. Ekai Jinko walked out. But he was a very different person than the one who had walked in. Ekai Jinko had a peaceful expression on his face. Gone were the signs of worry. The students looked at him expectantly. Now, their master was going to whisper words of wisdom, words that would solve everything. As one of the students approached Ekai Jinko to ask him what they should do next, the professor looked at him and then spoke. Go away, he said. The student reeled. Such amazing insight. But he was curious, what did the master mean? Ekai Jinko didn't say anything. Other students asked, but Ekai Jinko remained silent. He did finally answer, but not under the threat of an uncomfortable parent-teacher conference. It was to address the immediate annoyance. If a hundred students are all asking you the same question over and over, at some point, you don't have a choice except to give in. Ikai Jinko pointed to nearby Mount Gorichen. Go there, he told his students. Observe and absorb. Don't come back 
until you have learned to observe and absorb everything around you some of the students wanted to protest they had done a good job observing the bee hadn't they but they kept silent ekai jinko didn't seem like he might answer their question readily given a direct order like that they obeyed the students began fetching all kinds of climbing equipment ropes oxygen tanks ice boots with spikes pickaxes heavy jackets but ekai jinko saw that and stopped them they were allowed to take nothing not even water or food they had to go to mount gorichen just as they were if that seems dangerous believe me it was gorichen is over 21000 feet above sea level at that altitude you need specialized equipment to survive and there was no established path to the summit either using a harry potter crossover analogy any of those students would have considered it much less dangerous to go into the forbidden forest blindfolded and without a wand but the students went all 100 of them the difficulty and danger may remind you of the charge of the light brigade but there are some key differences this wasn't the valley of death this was the mountain of death there were no physical cannons but every moment every little gust of wind hit them and hurt them in this unusually cold weather gorichen looked like it was pretty close by but as they approached it its massive size kept growing larger and larger all that the students could think about was food of which they had none this was a desolate landscape there was no vegetation around not in the season at least and therefore no berries fruits or roots no water either there was ice which could have quenched their thirst if they found a way to melt it in freezing temperatures to the students credit they tried they went closer and closer to the top of the mountain but beyond a point they simply could not proceed observe and absorb ekai jinko's parting words rang in their ears but what could they do their stomachs were growling with hunger and their throats were parched they couldn't sit still not when they were trembling with the cold they couldn't stay silent not when their teeth were chattering there was only one thing that they could do to head back down the decision was unanimous i suppose if it hadn't been this whole thing could have become a version of the hunger games on the way back down the mountain they met genkai 
a hunter. Genkai was a very thin man. He seemed to be very weak. And yet, he was casually carrying a massive deer on his shoulder. The whole scene reminded the students of an ant carrying a load that is several times its own weight. The students walked alongside Genkai, making polite conversation, but also trying to figure out what was the secret of his super strength. When they reached Genkai's home, the hunter politely thanked them for their company and requested the monks to please do him a favor. When they went further downhill, they would come across the Kaming River. Genkai asked, could they please request the river to come visit Genkai because he needed to do his dishes? The students didn't say anything, but they all thought, what was this crazy man saying? He was expecting all the laws of physics to be broken suddenly because he wanted to do his dishes? But being polite monks, they agreed. And what's more, when they got to the river, they did actually carry out his request. They asked the river to do exactly what Genkai had asked for. Imagine their surprise when the river did, in fact, change course. No sooner had the students made the request, the river suddenly changed direction. It started flowing uphill. Seeing the now dried-up riverbed was an unusual experience. You might say it was extreme. The students really wanted to see the rest of this miracle. Their hunger and thirst were overpowered by their curiosity to watch this live stream. Back at Genkai's place, he was casually cleaning his dishes in this temporary river basin. He had the air of someone who had done this every day, as if there was nothing unnatural about it. When Genkai was finished with the dishes, and after he had filled up his water pitchers and gardened his plants, he thanked the river for the live-streaming service, as he called it. The river then went back its merry way. Eikai Jinko's students were still watching all this in amazement. They observed that rivers were normally lazy. They didn't get out of their beds. What then was the secret behind this physics-defying miracle? They asked Genkai, but he said nothing. The students hounded him with this question, showing more persistence than they had back in the monastery during their lessons. Irritated by the hunter's continued silence, they threatened to tear down Genkai's house. His initial response was that he just had a subscription to a streaming service. But that was met with plenty of dissatisfaction. Genkai then admitted that he indeed had magic. 
The students then wanted to know how they could get similar magic themselves. Was there a jewel they had to dig out of the ground? Was there a radioactive spider they had to be bitten by? Or did they have to survive a blast of DNA-altering gamma radiation? No, of course not. What ghastly ideas, Genkai said. It was a lot simpler than that, he added. He pointed to the tallest tree in his yard. That tree was magic, he said. He had gotten all his powers from there. All the students had to do was to climb up the tree and meditate there for an entire day. And then they would be blessed with similar magic powers as well. But the students wondered how they were supposed to climb such a tall tree. Genkai said that they were welcome to chop down another tree and make a ladder for themselves. He was cool with that. Maybe they should take down that tree over there, the one that seemed dead and which was dangerously leaning towards Genkai's house. Hunger and thirst were forgotten as the students got to work. When there are a hundred pairs of hands, bringing down the tree and making a ladder did not take any time. Even if those hands belonged to a hundred underfed and weak people. And while you might wonder, how come students learning meditation and such were capable of constructing a ladder? It's really not hard. As the students realized, building a ladder was a straightforward series of steps. You work on step one, then step two, then step three, and so on. Once the ladder was all built, all the students climbed it up the tree. The smart money would have been on sending just one student as a pilot. But everyone wanted to acquire magic. So all hundred students found a place in the topmost branches of this massively tall tree. And they stayed there. They continued to observe everything happening around them. But they were still not immune to distractions. They observed Genkai starting a fire. They observed Genkai collecting firewood here and there and feeding it into the fire. Then they observed to their collective horror that Genkai took their ladder, took it apart and fed it to the fire. Screaming did not help. Genkai's reaction was no different than earlier. He pretended not to hear. There was no way that the students could descend on their own without a ladder. It was a sheer drop. Loss of life and limb was guaranteed. The students were very worried now. Genkai came strolling over and said he had prepared hot tea and samosas for all of them. 
Would they like some? Well, all they had to do was to get down. They didn't call him any names, because of course, they were polite monks. But they merely asked him how they were supposed to get down. Cry me a river, Genkai remarked, and then added that they could fly down, of course, if they set their minds to it. If they moved past all the other distractions, they could do anything. But don't take too long, or the tea will get cold, Genkai reminded them. A hundred monks shivered in the cold and wind on their branches. They were already weak, and without any food or water, they were only going to grow weaker. And if that happened, they would fall out of their branches. That was when one of the students got desperate enough to try meditating. And it worked. As he slipped deeper and deeper into his own mind, everything else disappeared. Hunger and thirst were forgotten. Now that he had learned to let it go, the cold did not bother him either. His own fears, his anxiety was gone. He was at peace. Calmly, he stood up perfectly balanced on the very thin branch. The other students who hadn't similarly mastered their thoughts yet thought that lack of nourishment had made him delirious. Some screamed as he jumped off the branch. But those screams were immediately followed by gasps as they saw that he wasn't on the trajectory they might expect from a projectile subject only to gravity. Why, the boy was twisting and turning in midair. He even did a loop-the-loop a few times. More students followed. Eikai Jinko's instructions echoed in their minds. And not long after, all 100 students had mastered their thoughts. Yes, they had all learned to fly, but much more importantly to the students, they had learned meditation. They had understood what Eikai Jinko had been telling them about mastering their own thoughts. And when they got down, the samosas and hot tea weren't even their highest priority. That's it for this time. A few notes. I like this story. It has a lesson on focus, which is one of the hardest things to achieve. It may not appear so until the end of the story, but the students are developing behaviors that will eventually lead them to their goals. Their attempts to scale the mountain, despite the harsh conditions and the lack of equipment, their decision to climb back up the hill to Genkai's home, and their decision to build a ladder, despite their hunger and thirst, ultimately culminating in a complete mastery 
of their thoughts. It isn't explicitly stated in the story, but Kenkai was obviously Ekaijinko's friend and had similarly helped train other students. Needless to say, many of the actions in today's story should not be tried at home. Certainly, do not try to climb Mount Korichen without proper equipment. And certainly, do not try to learn flying without the aid of a plane or a glider. But you can try to request a river to change course. Though, don't try this in inhabited areas. You might end up causing some floods. Mount Gorichen and the Urgaling Monastery are real places in Arunachal Pradesh. In that region, sometimes when the sky turns shades of crimson and orange, the locals know that what you're seeing is a busy cluster of monks who have just been taught by Genkai how to fly. The colors obviously match those of the monks' robes. That's it for this time. In the next episode, we'll hear another story from Vikram and Bethal. King Vikramaditya is presented with yet another puzzle that he must work out. Thank you for all of your comments on social media and on Spotify's Q&A. I can't directly reply to the questions there, but I'll address them here on this show. Shalu, thank you for those kind words. It was heartwarming to read your comments. Arush, I'm thrilled by the number of times you've heard the episodes, and I'm excited to keep bringing you even more stories. If you have any suggestions, please share them so I can make this show better than ever. Anev, I wish you a happy upcoming birthday. I will begin on the Pony and Salmon story soon enough. Harish, I'll give it a thought. There are many rarely heard stories that are funny and some that are scary, but not a lot that are both. I'll see what I can do. Mushroom, you and a few others asked for Vikram and Bethal. So that is indeed coming up in the next episode. Vishrut, thank you for the feedback. And yes, I can. I've done one on Vishnu's upcoming Kalki Avatar back in episode 155. If you want to hear that while I work on more such stories. Hari Prasad, you're correct. Vikram Betal stories are found in the Kathasarit Sagar. But that ocean of the stream of stories is itself based on older material, including the Brihat Katha. The Brihat Katha was just one volume of a massive list of stories. The other six books are now lost in history and can only be accessed by a time traveler, such as your humble narrator. If you have any other comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or reply to the questions on Spotify's Q&A. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. 
be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time.